Stay there. Give me the ball. Hey. Relax. All right, don't try to strike everybody out. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascists. Throw some ground balls. It's more democratic. Good morning and welcome to episode 431 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. My name is Ben Lindbergh. My co-host Sam Miller is still sunning himself on foreign shores, so I am joined today by Baseball Prospectus Director of Technology, Harry Pavlidis. Hello, Harry. Welcome back. Hello. So it's not just Harry today. We have a crowded podcast because we're going to be discussing and dissecting and debating one of baseball's biggest stories over the last few seasons, the rapidly rising strikeout rate. And to do that, we have brought together a, a panel of some of baseball's brightest minds from a number of different disciplines. And before we begin, I'll introduce everyone so that you'll know who's who when we start talking. First, we have Rob Nyer, the senior baseball editor at FoxSports.com and an outspoken anti-strikeout activist, or, or maybe you'd prefer pro-contact advocate. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Rob Nyer. Good morning, Rob. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We also have Brian Bannister, a former major league pitcher for the Mets and the Royals who endeared himself to the internet by publicly professing his affection for pitch FX data while he was still playing and actually used it to increase his ground ball rate by trading Forbes team fastballs for, for cutters, among other things. You can find him on Twitter at RealBanny. Uh, hey, Brian. Good to be here. And finally, we have Alan Nathan, a professor emeritus of physics at the University of Illinois and a physics of baseball researcher who contributes pieces to baseball prospectus. You can find him on Twitter at P-O-B-Guy. Welcome, Alan. Thanks for having me. Okay, so to set the scene, uh, hitters have struck out in 21.1% of their plate appearances so far this season, which is up from 19.9% through the same date last year. And on its own, that's not a huge increase, but it's just the, the latest uptick in a, a trend that's really been going on more or less since the, the dead ball era and seems to have accelerated in recent seasons. The, the strikeout rate has doubled since the 1950s. And, and now that more than one in five plate appearances is ending in a strikeout, we've sort of had to adjust our, our expectations, both in terms of what baseball looks like and how we interpret statistics because if you if you grew up watching baseball in the 80s or 90s you you were conditioned to think that a pitcher who struck out twice as many batters as he walked was doing pretty well now the league average is 2.5 strikeouts per walk so in, in that way in other ways we've really had to to reevaluate what what the baseline is so today we're we're talking about what's driving that increase in strikeouts and whether the increase is a bad thing and what if anything major league baseball should do about it so uh, I will tee up some questions, but feel free to to jump in and respond to each other. So I, I want to start with you, Harry. Um, as anyone who listened to episode 281 of this show knows, you, in a sense, have seen every pitch thrown over the last several seasons, or at least have seen a blob on a graph that represents every pitch thrown. And you you do custom pitch classifications of of every pitch coming from the pitch FX data provided by Major League Baseball Advanced Media, and you can find your work at brooksbaseball.net and baseballperspectus.com. And so I asked you to, to take a look at what the pitch FX data has to say about this increase in strikeouts. So 
What have you found in terms of velocity and pitch type usage and the size of the strike zone and anything else that, that the data might help us uh, explain this, this rise? Well, some of it's um, expected. Some of it's a little counterintuitive. So the, the first general contextual thing is the strike zone is bigger. So since 2008, as there's been more standardization of strike zone, which happens to coincide with, I think, 2009 when they started using pitch FX instead of Questec to uh, grade the umpires, the strike zones have gotten a bit more consistent, but there's also more strikes to be called. So as a result, there's a, an increase in the likelihood that a pitch you don't swing at will be called a strike. So back in 2008, that was only 50%. It was up all the way to about 54.5% in 2012, 2013. So that's a 4 point increase. Mm-hmm. And so far this year, it's at 56.9. It's pushing 57%. So the strike zone may have become larger again. There's also the phenomenon of hitters swinging less by a little bit. There was kind of an increase in swing rate from 2008 to 2013, but it's now dropped off, excuse me, through 2012, but it's dropped in 2013. So it went from roughly 44% to 47%, back to 46%, now around 44% again. So... There seems to be some adjustment, possibly, uh, that's going the wrong direction. (laughs) Zone's Uh getting bigger, and guys are swinging less all of a sudden. So if guys are taking pitches, they're more likely to have called strikes. But when they are swinging, you're probably about to tell us they're They're, also... They're missing more often, yes. Uh Uh, It's kind of gone up and down over the years. I mean, in, in 2009, it was 28% swings resulted in a miss. It's about the same this year, but in 2008, 26%. So it, 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 that, that number hasn't really shown a trend as much as kind of an oscillation. So there's a bigger strike zone, less swings, um, probably more swinging strikes. At least so far this year, uh, there's more swinging strikes per swing than any year in the pitch FX era. But mm-hmm. we should point out that 2009 is, is a close second. Mm-hmm. Guys are throwing harder. Now, there's a combined effect of what they're throwing uh, and how and how hard they're throwing. And so overall, like if you just take all pitches, and you don't care what kind of pitch it is. The average pitch speed in 2008 was 80.8 miles an hour. Now, it's this year it's gone all the way up to 84.4. So it's gone from 80, almost 81 to above 82, kind of steady for a few years, then jumped to 83 last year, then 84. And when you break it down by pitch type, fastballs, you know, everything's getting faster except the four-seam fastball. Sinkers are getting faster uh, by about a mile per hour. There's no more guys throwing sinkers now than there were before. It's all about 22% of the pitches are sinkers. Fastball usage has gone down a few percentage, so people are throwing more off-speed pitches. So that that's where there's a slight increase. Uh, you know, If there's an overall change in piss, pitch usage, it's in the off-speeds pitches are being used more and the, it's eating, coming out of the four seam percentage mm-hmm. curveballs and change-ups are about two miles an hour faster now than they were a few years ago uh splitters aren't really any faster or slower those seem to be kind of a, a different beast but guys throwing non-split grip change-ups are throwing them harder now so 
and curveballs as well. And I don't know if that's because more guys are throwing uh, spike curves and knuckle curves, but or or and on the changeup side, just because they're stronger folks throwing changeups, or if it's a technique thing where guys are trying to throw them harder, I'm not sure. But there's definitely more guys throwing hard, uh, more guys missing bats, and more strikes being called. So it, it kind of, it's not just swinging and missing and contact. It's also a bit of the umpiring. And it's also just the fact that the pitchers are getting nastier. Mm-hmm. So really, it's on all fronts. Uh, hitters are kind of at a disadvantage here relative to, to where they were before. Um, yes. So I'm curious, Alan, could you tell us anything about you know what the effect of increasing velocity by a couple of miles per hour is on in terms of hitters reaction time and you know how how many milliseconds you actually have to make a determination of whether you should swing or not or or you know how to tell where whether the or where the ball will end up yeah without without being too quantitative about it <clears throat> just being qualitative uh it, it would you know it, two miles an hour doesn't sound like a lot but it really it's two miles an hour at, at the margin that really does matter because the the so, you know, the, the amount of time from release to home plate, you know, might be, you know, typically four-tenths of a second, maybe a little bit less than that for a high, higher speed pitch. But that, that doesn't tell the whole story because the batter really has to, has, you know, only a fraction of that time uh, to look at the pitch to make some judgment as to whether uh, the pitch is uh, a pitch you want to swing at and then, you know, make the decision to swing and then, and then actually swing. So uh, small differences in speed can make uh, a, a fairly substantial difference in uh, the batter's ability to react, uh, especially if the pitcher is able to mix speeds. So, uh, so for example, a pitcher who typically pitches say 93 if you can crank it up to 95 and the batter is expecting 93 you know that's a substantial difference and the batter is quite likely to swing late on, on such a pitch so yeah those those small changes uh at the margins like that can make a big difference so uh, brian um how do you explain the fact that that pitchers are throwing harder i mean it, do you attribute it to changes in usage just guys having shorter outings and just going all out from first pitch or is it a, a change in player development or, you know, guys training harder from an earlier age or how do you, how do you explain it? You know, I think with the whole, the whole strikeout topic is that from the pitcher perspective, and this is less of a scientific analysis of it, is that because hitters got so much stronger and so much better with the use of PEDs in the game throughout the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, that the game of baseball naturally reacted to that improvement in the quality of the hitters and the strength of the hitters and found ways to handle the pitching staffs and for the pitchers to attack the hitters um, that react to that. You know, if you designed a faster race car, then the natural reaction in the rest of the industry would be to develop better safety equipment that would protect the driver. And it's the same kind of thing. I think the use of pitchers has changed dramatically where a pitcher's attitude is now, this is more of a sprint as opposed to, 
training was different. Uh, also, they, they didn't have the backstop of the surgeries nowadays, where if you blow out your arm decades ago, you were done. I think pitchers know they can go all out now with better training methods, better nutrition, um, just better knowledge of the human body. It can really go out there and pitch max effort knowing if I blow out, I still have a chance. And I think that's really affected the game because now as PEDs have been removed from the game, for the most part, you've seen the hitters kind of come back to earth. But I think the improvements that the pitchers made during that period have been maintained, and therefore the pitchers are really, really doing well now, while I think the hitters are taking a step back. Rob, do you think anything, you know, do you think any of this has to do with teams getting smarter in a sense, Uh, you know, either recognizing that strikeouts for batters are not necessarily such a bad thing and that strikeouts for pitchers are a really, really good thing and, you know, maybe targeting those guys more than they had in the past or becoming more efficient in some way? Well, I think that's probably true, but it's also true that, that scoring is down. So it's not as if baseball teams on the, on the hitting side have developed some magical formula for scoring runs because it's not happening. Um, I think that all of these things we're talking about are far more organic than, than planned. Um, and there's really no, there's no end to it that I can see. I suppose if the strikeout rates get high enough, teams might start selecting hitters for their ability to place the ball and make contact. Um, but there's certainly been no hint of that yet. And I think we're assuming this trend continues, these trends um, continues, these trends continue for years. Um, and I think they will. Um, it'll be some, year, some of those years, maybe many years before it gets extreme enough where teams start selecting for hitters like, you know, Brett Butler. What would Brett Butler look like in, in the majors today? I don't know. Um, but it seems to me that if the contact rate is low enough, there might be a place for more players like Brett Butler. Mm-hmm. And, and you are not, not particularly <laughs> pleased by this development. Um, uh, you, you wrote something in 2012 where you, you called Ernesto Fieri the, the, canary, the canary in the coal mine. Um, you know, basically he had come out of anonymity in the, the Padres bullpen and become the closer for the Angels and was suddenly striking out everyone. And you took this as a sign that, you know, this is happening so often now, maybe we should do something about it. And uh, we haven't, and the, the trend has continued. So, you know, if he was the canary in the coal mine, I guess we have all suffocated by now. Um, <laughs> so why don't you like, why are you against the, the, the increase in strikeouts? Well, and I do call it the strikeout scourge. Um, and sort of half-jokingly, but, you know, it's something that writers do is they make up funny names for things. But I, I do think it's bad. You know, I have to say that it's bad for baseball. It's bad for me as a baseball fan. Um, but I think we can draw some overarching uh, conclusions or, or make some overarching judgments at some point. I mean, everyone, almost everyone, agreed in 1968 that things had gone too far. Uh, The batting average in the American League in 1968 was 230. The Yankees batted 214. Um, And something was done about it. Um, 
people, yes, there were people at the time who said you can't change the game; it's perfect. But m- most people really thought that it, things had gone too far. Now we're not there now. The batting average isn't quite that low, although it's incredibly low this season. I think yesterday I saw a note that it's it was 232 heading into the game yesterday, which is same basically the same as 1968. Now the run scoring is not nearly as low. We have more walks now than there were then. We have more home runs. Um, so my objection is on a purely aesthetic level. I, I want to see more players involved. When when Ernesto Frieri or better example now, Kenley Jansen or Craig Kimbrell comes into the game, I don't want to see a two-person game where it's the batter versus the pitcher, and that's really all that matters. I want to see a 10-player game, nine fielders, one batter. Um, that's an aesthetic argument. Um, you could certainly make a different argument, which is that if, if scoring levels go low enough, which is where we're headed, ultimately, um, fans simply will lose interest. Most fans would much rather see a 5-3 a to three game or even an 8-2 to two game, I think, uh, than a 2-1 to one game or one to nothing game. So it's really, in my mind, it's just a matter of time before everybody else jumps on, on this bandwagon. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think the fans want to see home runs. And um, because those are the most exciting, like, play, you know, for the typical fan. And so I think that's, so we kind of have this three true outcome game where we have a lot of strikeouts, we have a lot more patient hitters, because that that's you know, not just because of money ball, just because the game is being played that way. Um, and and it, on that contrast, though, is we're, we're starting to lose power, right? If you look at the, the Cubs' philosophy is to acquire young power hitters, because there's not going to be many of them, because of the, because the Ped era is over. Uh, so that's one thing that I think is a little bit possibly contrary to Rob's perspective. And the other is so much focus on defense these days and optimizing defensive positioning and shifts. So I, I see the numbers. and I, I, I agree with Rob on that perspective. But on the other hand, there's so much going on in the game where the teams are starting to recognize that it's not going to just be bashers. And those are going to be real prize commodities. Like when we were young, when 25 home runs was a big deal. Um, so there's there's it's going in both directions so i don't know if they're gonna have to do something like change the mound i don't know they'll probably change the ball again that's probably (laughs) what will happen yeah i i still take a sort of perverse pleasure in watching craig kimbrell come in and you know strike out half of the hitters he faces i don't know whether it's just the the novelty of it um i agree that that it could get to a point where it it does impair my enjoyment of the game to some degree um, so, so Rob, do you have a, uh, a solution in mind or have you, have you weighed the pros and cons of the, the various approaches? I have, um, I would, I think that it would take some really smart people, um, Alan Nathan, for example, right. but I would put together an entire team if, if I were working with MLB, um, because any change that you make is going to have wide ranging impact on everything else so you can't i don't think you can just lower the mound um yes you would have fewer strikeouts but you would also have fewer other things or more other things i think you would have to be a 
a broad-based effort to sort of balance, uh, to, to reach the outcomes that you're looking for, that would probably mean lowering the mound by an inch or two um, or three, ultimately. It might also mean deadening the ball. I think that makes sense as well. Uh, so you're not, you're not uh, rewarding to the same degree um, all or nothing swings. Um, and you, you probably have to do some things with the strike zone as well. Maybe that's just tighten it up a little bit um, or, you know, train the umpires better. You can't, you could not do just one thing. Or if you did, you would wind up having to address the changes there within a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan, could you talk a bit about the, the various solutions? I know you've done a, a lot of work on, on you know, uh, what the impact of, of the makeup of the ball is and how much that would change how far the ball yeah. flies and, and that sort of thing. And maybe maybe you could talk about the, the impact of raising or, or lowering the mound as well. Okay, yeah, let, me, let me talk about the ball first. Um, uh, of course, changing the ball per se, changing, you know, the liveliness, the so-called coefficient of restitution of the ball, wouldn't directly affect the strikeout, right? But it might, uh, it might affect you know, whether batters are sort of swinging for the fences uh, routinely or not. Uh, you know, by dead, by deadening the ball, the ball's not going to come off the bat as fast. It's not going to go as far. Uh, and so with it, so as, as an indirect effect, it quite possibly could reduce the, you know, propensity of, of hitters to be sort of swinging for the fences, which, which is one of the things that leads to the, to the big strikeout rate, I, I, I guess. Um, you know, you could also mess around with the seams of the ball, uh, and that's a little murkier, I think. Uh, the seams on a Major League Baseball are already fairly low, fairly flat, and it might be pretty hard to make them much flatter than they are. But that would affect, and Brian maybe could, could address this, uh, that, that would affect the ability of the pitcher to grip the ball, put spin on it, and things like that. Regarding the height of the mound, uh, that certainly had a big effect after the 68 season when they lowered the mound. And, you know, my, uh, I, I think, again, this is something Brian could, could attest to, I think. But I, I think that with the, with the raised mound, uh, when, when a pitcher is throwing something like a, mo- most pitches, okay, forcing fastballs, uh, uh, other kinds of pitches, probably most pitches other than curveballs, are thrown with an initial downward trajectory, which is sort of what you need to do uh, for a fast pitch in order to get it over the plate. You have to throw it initially downward. And I think by lowering the mound, uh, you tend to flatten out that pitch a little bit. And I think a, a pitcher, again, this is something Brian should probably talk about because I'm sure he knows much more about it than I do. But I, ha- I have the impression that uh, if the pitcher is throwing at a slightly downward angle, he can probably get more speed on the ball. So raising the mound gets you a bigger downward angle, more speed on the ball. Uh, lowering the mound, flattens the pitch out, you're probably going to get less speed. So I think uh, it, the, the advantage, whether, whether we fully understand exactly why or not, the advantage empirically is that you, know, you lower the mound, you're going you're to increase hitting. Uh, and so that, that's certainly one possibility. That would take some, I would think would take some adjustment. I don't, I don't remember back in 68, 69 era whether there was a lot of grumbling at first when pitchers had to get used to, uh, to a, you know, a different height mound. Uh, but I suspect it would take some period of adjustment for the pitches. 
So, Brian, could you respond to, to that from your, your own experience as far as the, the seams on the ball or, or the, the elevation of the mound and its effect? Yeah, I think um, just from a pitcher's perspective, uh, one of the interesting things about pitching off of a lower mound is that you tend to get more sore afterwards. So from a pitcher perspective, whether that would translate into more injuries, um, when a mound is lower, you kind of have less momentum as you go down the mound, and you end up having to uh, bend more at the end of your delivery in order to get the ball to the necessary height in the strike zone that will give you the best results, which is usually knee high. Um, so at, at most guys hate throwing off a of flat ground or a flat mound just because they feel like it destroys what they're trying to do. Um, but that definitely would have an impact on the strikeout rate. Um, I think hitters would have less stuff. The angle coming into the plate would be flatter, and I think that would lend itself towards more contact. Uh, with regards to the seams, um, the minor league balls already have slightly bigger seams than the major league balls. Uh, it's, it's definitely noticeable as you make that jump as a player. And I think it benefits the guys that throw sinkers, the guys that throw change-ups, the guys that throw splits. And I think it hurts a little bit the guys that throw forcing fastballs and the guys that throw curveballs just because there's less of a seam to pull against when you throw. Um, that's kind of been the thought of, of guys that have made that jump for the first time and, and talked about it is that, hey, my sinker got better as I went to the big leagues because the ball's a little tighter with a little smaller seams. Um, so I think I think that's the reaction the pitchers would have if the seams were made lower. Um, I think another byproduct of all this is just the way that pitchers pitch. Pitchers used to pitch a little more laterally. Uh, you could expand the strike zone. You could get that call an inch or two off the plate. And that was kind of a style that the east-west style that pitchers used to throw. And I think with, you know, the the evolution of Quest Tech and then Pitch FX, pitchers just have the approach of pitch between the edges of the plate, and they've naturally developed pitches that are more up-down, you know, with regards to the splitter or the sinker or just how they approach hitters. And I think that's had a byproduct. That's a byproduct of um, how the games evolve. And so I, I think all of these things, you know, as Harry said, I think the, the easiest thing to do to change all this would be to affect the liveliness of the ball, uh, and then you're kind of opening a can of worms all over again. Um, I don't think you could bring the fences in. Uh, that's That gets kind of weird when you start altering stadiums. Um, but even if you made the ball livelier, I think that would encourage hitters to swing harder or at least swing to the fences more often. And it could actually drive up the strikeout rate because if strikeouts are the problem, the hitters either – aren't making contact with two strikes or they're prizing taking pitches or going for the walk and taking a call third strike and making the ball livelier could actually make them swing bigger if they want to hit a home run. It, it wouldn't necessarily affect the strikeout rate, which is the problem we're dealing with right here. Um, so I, it could bring back the home run, which would make the game more exciting for the average fan. But you could just make the three true outcome baseball game that we have nowadays even more extreme by just increasing the home runs, but also increasing the strikeouts at the same time with a wide bear ball. So it's a, it's a huge problem across the game, and I agree with it. Um, and a lot of the solutions have their own problems uh, that come alongside them. 
If I could jump in in a second. Uh, actually, uh, you, you guys may remember that a few months ago, this whole topic was discussed on Clubhouse Confidential. Bill James was the guest that day. And uh, Bill said something that I, 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 at first, I didn't understand. He was talking about uh, forcing the batters to use thicker-handled bats. Uh, you know, he was probably thinking back in the old days, like Nellie Fox, who used this bottle bat, and he was sort of the ultimate contactor. And I didn't quite understand what he was getting at, so I, I, he and I exchanged a few emails about it. And basically what he's looking this, of course, would never happen, because you don't, you don't mess with <laughs> players' bats. But if, but if he could, what he would do is he would want to make, effectively make the bats heavier. Okay, making the bats heavier, in a sense, forcing batters to uh, be more control hitters, contact hitters, than sort of swing for the fences kind of guy, which would, you know, which would then reduce strikeouts, probably would reduce home runs, but would increase the number of batted balls put in play. So it's, a, it's an interesting idea, and I think his idea would work, but it's completely impractical. Well, I was going to say, you know, Phil's been beating that drum for a number of years now. And it, it's an attractive idea, especially if you're you know, a fan of Brett Butler's style play like I am. But um, I, I'm not convinced that Bill's right, that it would even work if you could somehow get the players to accept it. Because I think that um, you know, the, the Brett Butler, Joe Sewell uh, uh, method, you know, it might work when the average fastball is, is – 85, which it probably was in Sewell's day, or or 87 or 88, which it probably was in Butler's career, at least early in his career. But when the average fastball is 92 miles an hour, I'm not sure if swinging a, a, a thicker-handled bat slower, I'm not sure if that works. I think you just, you know, there used to be, um, these talk about, about hitters, they would say that, you know, you could knock the bat out of his hands because basically he couldn't swing the bat hard enough. Um, I don't know. I think that might be exactly what would happen if you tried to bring back that sort of strategy with a with a huge number of hitters. I I think that they couldn't swing the bat hard enough to even make solid contact. Yeah, you 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 may well be right about that. Yeah. So, uh, Brian, I mean, from your experience, how would you expect the the trend toward higher velocities to continue? Would you say that you know you think we're bumping up against the maximum of what a, a human arm can achieve, or are we going to, to see this continue to rise year after year? I talked to a lot of scouts and um, GMs in spring training, and they said what they've noticed is that the human arm hasn't gotten faster. There's just more guys, for lack of a better phrase, squished up against the ceiling of mm -hmm. that threshold. Right. Um, and you've, you've kind of seen this compression where the average guy is throwing harder, but the overall maximum hasn't climbed at all. Um, and so I think you're getting your average pitcher out there in a game throwing harder. And because the game is more of a sprint now, you know, you don't have your three inning closers like you used to. Uh, every single time a hitter comes into an inning, he's facing a guy throwing high 90s. And, and that's how the game's changed. You know, it's, it's hard enough for a hitter to face an elite starting pitcher and have a good at bat against him their second or third time around once they've kind of seen his pitches and the break on his pitches and what his stuff does. And now all of a sudden, every time you go into the game, 
you're facing a guy with elite stuff and you only get to see him for a handful of pitches and that's it. And then the next time it's wiped clean and you're seeing a new guy with elite stuff. And I think that sprint mentality is um, kind of one of the reactions to the steroid era as far as how teams have groomed their pitchers and which pitchers ultimately make it to the major leagues and have success. And all these characteristics were just pitchers fighting back uh, against the, the better, stronger hitters. And now you're seeing it kind of backfire as far as the aesthetics and the enjoyment of the game because I think pitchers have done everything they can to be the best pitchers they can be as far as their training, their approach, which pitches they they work on and prioritize, how they attack the zone, all these characteristics. And I, I think we're seeing almost peak pitchers because I don't think we're going to see 110-mile-an-hour fastballs in the future. I think we're kind of bumping up against the ceiling there. But I just think when you have millions of kids to choose from worldwide who are training in this style to ultimately be a big league pitcher, I, I think you're going to get you know, 150 of those and pitch in the big leagues and they're going to be successful and they're going to be nasty and the game is going to be full of those types of arms from now on because we know how to get to that level and how to be successful uh, to get hitters out. And I don't think hitters have that same advantage anymore. I think hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things you can do in this world. And now that pitchers have kind of maxed out and hitters aren't as big and strong as they were over the last 20 years, I, I think you've seen the game take a step backwards uh, as far as an enjoyment level. It's... Um... It's kind of interesting some of the things that that I've heard in this this conversation uh, about the potential changes and kind of the on desire on um, unintended consequences and how things ripple through the game. But one of the things that has kind of struck me the most was one of Brian's comments about changing the mound, um, and you know talking about being more sore because having to put a little more finish when you don't have the slope of the mound. And that, that, that seems to run contrary to something I remember reading some years ago about the more slope of the mound, the more injury risk there is to a pitcher. The more Because there's more gravity, so there's there, therefore there's more strain. There's more, you're, you're exposing the, um, the body to more force. So I'm kind of curious what Alan thinks about that. But also, question for Brian, is would changing the mound in that way would certain pitchers get gain gain or lose an advantage a different way? You know, much of the way you talk about how the change in seams from, say, AAA to major leagues impacts different pitchers differently. How would the mound affect uh, a drop-and-drive guy versus a tall-and-fall guy? Because someone like a, a Tanaka, who is coming and just flattening himself out, it may be something less impactful than like a Jake Arrieta who seems to just rely on everything just flowing downhill naturally. Yeah, look, I'll, I agree let me let me let me just defer to Brian on these questions, which are interesting questions. As far as um, the impact on the arm, yes, there is more force the steeper the mound, and um, the, the interesting thing is while there may be more force. I think as a pitcher, you feel the impact of that less the next day. Uh, I think on a flat mound, you have to generate more and you have to finish more. And you definitely notice it in the back of your shoulder and your back when you pitch on a flat mound. 
uh, versus a steep mound. I distinctly remember one ballpark in the Eastern League, and that was New Britain, which was the Twins at the time when I played there. They had an extremely flat mound, and it got to the point where guys in the league were actually warming up on flat ground because the bullpen mound was so much steeper than the game mound that guys were going into the games and they couldn't pitch because it it was so drastically different. And almost everybody that had a start at that field the next day would be dramatically more sore than they would at any other park around the league. And so pitchers notice it. Now, it could be more of an all-or-nothing impact, meaning a pitcher will be less sore pitching on a steeper mound, but may be more likely to blow out at some point because he's generating more momentum and more velocity down the mound. So on an average day, a pitcher might not feel it as much, but maybe over time it could increase the likelihood of serious injury because he is just moving faster down the mound because there is more gravity, there is more momentum. Um, so that that could be a more scientific uh, explanation for it all. Um, but I, I think it would help the guys that are more on the sinker split side of the game as opposed to the guys who are more the four-seam fastball. I'm going to be successful by having my pitches rise above the bats um, and be more of a fly ball whiff type pitcher. I think you could see that result, and so the game would be skewed in favor of uh, the Tanaka or somebody who throws a split with a flatter mound. Um, but I think just once again, I think baseball would react to that by prizing those types of pitchers, and I think the pitchers would react by developing pitchers that would be more successful off a flatter mound uh, than a steeper mound. So, so you think it's more, specifically with Tanaka, you would think his advantage would be just the nature of his pitch rather than his drop-and-drive approach? I, I think when you're a sinker ball-based pitcher, you're using the force of gravity to determine the speed of the sink on your ball. You, you can't make a ball, unless it has topspin, sink faster than gravity. And so that's kind of a constant in how you pitch, whereas a guy who pitches with a four-seam fastball, you're really limited by how fast your arm can move, by how steep the mound is, by how much momentum you can generate, and the faster velocity, the faster the spin that you can create, the more your fastball will rise and explode into the zone. So if you if you hamstring those guys by lowering the mound, by you know whatever changes you make, I think that will impact the power pitchers more than it would the sinker ballers where, you know, the flat spin on your fastball or the lack of spin on your split finger, it's still going to have the same amount of sink because you're still working with the force of gravity and you're going to lose a little angle on your pitches, but I think I still think you would be impacted less than the big power guys. So if they drop the mound, you'll make a comeback is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, unfortunately, I was a four-seam guy. So... I, I never had the fastball to begin with, so the mound didn't help me. So before we wrap up, I, I do want to touch on just the, the change in pitcher usage because while it's not a, a one-to-one relationship, you know the, the reduction in the percentage of innings thrown by starters has certainly tracked with the increase in strikeout rate. And I think we're, we're up to something like 35% of all pitches are thrown by relievers now. And 
of course, we know that that relievers throw harder and they don't face that that times through the order effect where they become less effective, you know, if they see a batter multiple times in the same game. So so really the the question of whether strikeout rate will continue to increase or increase at the same rate seems to me to at least partially come down to whether we will see a continuation of the trend toward fewer and fewer innings per pitcher used in a game. And, you know, I know Bill James has kind of uh, expressed the idea that teams have taken this too far in their pursuit of matchups and the platoon advantage, and and they're costing themselves by carrying too many relievers at the expense of bench players. And and so now we see things like we saw in the, the White Sox-Red Sox game the other day where, uh, you know, it's the, the 14th inning and the White Sox are out of pitchers and it's a tie game and they have to put in a utility infielder because they don't have any pitchers left because, you know, they, they used four guys in the eighth inning and two of them to face one batter. And so they essentially had to just raise the white flag, uh, you know, rather than put a starter in or just use their relievers more judiciously. So I guess I'll direct that to, to Rob. Um, do you agree with, with Bill more or less that teams have taken this too far? And do you think that we are heading either toward a return to you know maybe two inning relievers at least or are we heading more toward the the kind of Brian Kenny idea of just going with the all reliever staff well uh i think my opinion about this is colored by my again aesthetic sensibilities uh, i would like to see fewer relief pitchers and more bench hitters uh I'm not convinced that's the way to win. I mean, a lot of really smart people are running baseball teams and, 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 and giving their managers seven or eight relief pitchers. It isn't the managers who make the roster moves. It's the GMs. And uh, we know the GMs are much smarter than they used to be. I'm not saying they're, 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 they're always right, but uh, I don't know if they're responding to the entreaties from their managers or if they're doing this because they think it makes sense. I think they think it makes sense to get the platoon matchup and they get fresh guys out there who throw 95 miles an hour as often as they possibly can. And I have to say, you're absolutely right. There is a connection between the increased use of relief pitchers and the strikeout rate. And one thing that, that concerns me is, you know, we're talking about ways, possible ways to lower the strikeout rate. Um, I'm worried the strikeout rate is going to – that baseball will actually do something to increase the strikeout rate, where it isn't, isn't organic, where, where I could definitely see next time the CBA comes up, um, I could see the union or even the teams arguing to add a roster spot, have a 26 men. We already see it for doubleheaders. And we know, I think, through experience, that most of those extra roster spots would go to a pitcher because the managers want them. And I presume the general managers as well. And there's an endless supply of pitchers in the minors who can throw 94, 95 miles an hour. So um, we need to maybe instead of advocating for baseball to do something to lo- lower strikeouts, we just need to, 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 to be on the watch for something that will even increase strikeouts. So is this sort of similar to you wrote something yesterday about how we've seen all this, uh, this wave of Tommy John surgeries and maybe it's because the incentives are not really there to reverse that trend because you've got pitchers and agents and teams who all 
benefit from getting these guys who throw hard and, you know, having them continue to do that, even if it puts them in danger. So is it sort of the same problem here where we have, you know, teams benefit from pitchers who strike out a lot and pitchers who strike out a lot of batters make more money. And, and so there's no one except, you know, you or us maybe who are watching the game, uh, who's really there to, to speak for contact. Yeah, I absolutely think that's true. Um, this is, this is, a um, an issue that is unknown to the great majority of baseball fans, which is why I think that in the coming years, the focus will not be or shouldn't be on strikeouts when we write about this for a mass audience. The, the issue will be simply run scoring. Uh, that's, that will lead to change. If the run production goes low enough, something will be done about it. No, nobody cares about strikeouts, but runs scored and ultimately attendance People care a lot about those things. Mm-hmm. So to conclude, uh, let's say that, that Bud Selig appoints us as his blue ribbon commission for studying the strikeout problem, uh, which I think means that we have five to 10 years to deliberate before we come <laughs> to a decision, at which point he'll probably still be commissioner. Um, I guess I'll just go around and, and ask each of you what your what your recommendation would be. Or would Do you think that we should be in a a wait and see mode for now or would you actually advocate doing something right now and and if so what um so i guess I could just go back to you rob well uh, two things two two overarching things first of all i would appoint this commission um as many smart people as i could find in different disciplines but especially science uh, and history and i would also um, I would subsidize or purchase um, a minor league, um, maybe the Atlantic League, and I would start trying different things to see what happened on the field. Alan? Yeah, uh, actually, I, I very much like Rob's ideas. I think that's, uh, I, I would play a wait and see with regard to the major leagues. But yeah, I think experimenting with different things uh, in a minor league setting uh, to me, sounds like uh, a very worthwhile idea. And, you know, appointing a commission and to study the problem, make sure we understand all the unintended consequences uh, that might arise from doing one thing or another. I think would be quite important to do. But I wouldn't do anything just yet, other than you know, uh, have some blue ribbon panels study the problem. Mm-hmm. Brian, uh, I'll throw something out there that we haven't discussed yet, but for me, I think the simplest way you could correct the problem is to reduce the up-down size of the strike zone. Um, You know, I don't like bringing fences in. I don't like changing the height of the mound. I don't like changing the liveliness of the ball or the thickness of the handles, because I think you start messing with the game itself. But if you change the height of the zone, then it forces all these power pitchers to have to dial back a little bit because hitters are just going to take advantage of this of the fact that you're not going to throw as many strikes. So one, you're going to have to throw the ball in the zone a little bit more. You're going to have to control your delivery a little bit more to get the ball in the zone. And I think it would also combat the run scored problem because flat out, if you're not throwing strikes, you're going to be walking more people. You're going to be forced to throw more pitches, which also combats 
the way that pitchers are used nowadays where they come in to get one hitter at a time or come in and throw 100 miles an hour and face three hitters, uh, you know, if you go out there and you can't throw a strike, you're not going to be able to have the luxury of just throwing as hard as you can uh, to a couple hitters, and it's going to greatly reduce your effectiveness. So I think if you, if you make the zone a little bit smaller up-down, that that could actually combat uh, a bunch of the problems without actually affecting the game the way it is now. Do you have any thoughts on the the strike zone size issue, Harry, or any I, other recommendations? I, I like that idea because what my my thing about this is the the impact of the game is I do believe that we are you know up against the upper limits of the human arm and related parts. I mean that's why we had Steve Dalkowski and now we have Araldus Chapman and really nobody like them in between. So the concern about the game changing because of the overwhelming nature of power pitchers. So if you change that zone, you, you disincentivize that pitching style. And then maybe you would disincentivize that training uh, genre that's come out, which is all about 12 months a year of throwing and learning to throw harder and harder. So, you know, weighted balls between showcases. So if you change the incentives, so right now you're not going to, be able to go in and say, kids, don't train this way. There's, there's no way you can do that. And I don't know if that would even be right, but it just wouldn't work. But if you say the game isn't going to be dominated by these hard-riding fastballs anymore, and it isn't, it isn't a game of the power pitcher anymore, it's a game of control and throwing 80% of your effort and nailing your spots, which could be a, a beautiful way to play the game, um, it doesn't take power away because you still have that natural ability to find guys like Nolan Ryan uh, and J.R. Richard. They'll, they'll still be there. You know, they were power pitchers when I was a child. And so there's that beauty of saying just tweak the zone, change that style. And over time, maybe we'll have a healthier pool of pitchers to go with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is that what you would recommend as a member of the commission? Um I would I would question all of my ideas before making a recommendation of any kind. Uh, <laughs> Your recommendation may be completely ignored, so don't don't well, yeah, worry. Also, the fact you know I would first you know question the commission. How good is this committee? If I'm on it, so things like that would also be uh, more of a meta level discussion to go first. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, if if no one else has any thoughts. Um, we have, uh, I think, covered this pretty well. We brought together a pitcher and a pitch FX analyst and a physicist and a couple of writers, which sounds like the setup for the world's worst joke. But I think it, we hopefully raised some some awareness of an important baseball issue. Uh, and and thank you all for for joining me. Yeah, thank Thanks, you, Ben. This was fun. Good to be here. All right, so that's it for this week. Uh, please uh, send us emails for next week at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to baseballreference.com, subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. Uh, our Facebook group is facebook.com slash group slash effectivelywild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes, which is very much appreciated. I will be back. Sam will be back next week with a new show on Monday.